And today you've joined us when we happen to be in 1 Corinthians, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of God's Word. And that's saying a lot, because all of God's Word is awesome and amazing. But today you've joined us when we're in the last part of 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 8 through 13. And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage to you? Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So in this section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's been expounding on the priority of this uh, agape love, this love that love that doesn't expect anything in return, love that just chooses to set its heart on another. And he's explaining the necessity when any of the gifts of the, of the Spirit are expressed, that they be expressed in agape love, God's kind of love. And even says without love, the gifts, these different gifts that he expounded on in chapter 12, are really nothing. This is a love that expects nothing in return. It even loves its enemies. It's unmerited and given graciously to any who will receive it. It's unlike any love that man can muster because it's utterly, completely unselfish. The previous four verses defined love for us, mostly by declaring what love is not. And that helps us recognize how different our love is compared to the love of God. For example, love does not envy or boast. It's not rude or arrogant, nor is it irritable or resentful, which are attitudes that we all experience. Amen? Oh, is it just me? Uh, are you irritable at times? Huh? Can I see some nods out there? Or do you sometimes hold a resentment against somebody or for some situation? Right? God doesn't. And when we have God's love, that those things aren't in our, it, it expressed in us either. At these attributes are, are attributes of God. God is agape. He is this kind of love. And he never changes. These things are always true of him. In a positive sense, love is patient and kind. These descriptions are, are his very nature. 
Paul continues by emphasizing the importance of love by contrasting the temporary nature of the gifts of the Spirit with the eternal nature of God's love. Verse 8, again, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, in your King James Bible, it says love never fails. Many of you may have memorized it that way. But actually here in this passage, ends is a better choice than fails because what's happening here is Paul's contrasting agape's eternal quality with the things that are of a temporal nature, such as the gifts of the Spirit that the Corinthians held so highly. The Greek word papito literally means falls or collapses. Love never falls or collapses. It's used of flower petals which have dried and fallen off a, a plant and decayed. We won't need the gifts of prophecy or tongues or knowledge in heaven, but we will have love, agape love. In fact, the very atmosphere of heaven will be love. Never, here in this passage, in Greek form, is only used here in Paul's letters. It's, it's more emphatic than simply saying will not. Love will not, will not end. You could say agape will absolutely not ever cease to be because it's God's eternal nature and God never changes. Some people use it like a formula. You may have, may have heard people use this. I have a dear friend, God bless her. She uses this all the time. Love never fails, meaning if I use love, then it, I will succeed. But it's important to note that never fails does not refer to success in this passage. Love is not a magic key that Christians use to unlock every opportunity and guarantee every endeavor. Love is not a spiritual formula that, that faithfully applied automatically fulfills our desires or, and produces human success. Success will not always be a part of love, but love will always be a part of true spiritual success. Verses 8 to 10 are, are used by some to say that the gifts of the Spirit have already ceased. We refer to the, that belief as, uh, those who believe that, as cessationists. In other words, they believe they have ceased. But we've seen that word, gifts, in Scripture, is also used for marriage, for salvation, um, for generosity, for helping others. Those are gifts of the Spirit. I hope those haven't ceased, don't you? Because I, I want to remain married to my wife. <laughs> And I want generosity to flow from my life, and I need help in the church, so I hope those gifts haven't ceased. Some expressions of the gifts will be experienced in heaven in all their fullness, such as knowledge, but it's nothing like the knowledge that we have now. We won't need, you see, the gifts are described in, in chapter 12 as over and over again, Paul says, they build up. In chapter 14, he repeats it several times. They build up. All the gifts are meant to build us up. We won't need to be built up then. We will be complete. The work of God in us will be finished. So Paul is emphasizing that enduring fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to the temporal 
spiritual gifts to try to help the Corinthians and all who read the letter to see the fruits of the Spirit, especially agape love, are essential to the believer's behavior and giftings. While only three gifts are mentioned here, probably those most highly prized by the Corinthians, they most likely represent all the gifts of the Spirit that we read about in chapter 12. In heaven, we will have knowledge, but no one will need to speak a word from the Lord because the Lord himself will be speaking directly to us. The prophecy will have come to pass that declares no one will need to teach his neighbor know the Lord for all shall know him. Hallelujah. The phrase will cease, will pass away, are both translations of the Greek word katargeo. That is usually used in reference to the coming age when Christ will reign on earth. The way Paul uses the word in this letter describes the things that will not continue into the coming age. Verse 9, for we know in part, now, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So gifts like prophecy and knowledge are limited, and they're temporary until God's work in us is completed. Right now we have the child's version, you might say, of gifts, but then it will be replaced with the adult version, the temporal replaced with the eternal. It's similar to what takes place with our bodies at the resurrection. Uh, These bodies are amazing. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. They function amazingly right now, but they are so limited compared to our eternal bodies. Our spirits will be perfected, completely Christ-like. Imagine everyone you meet, you will meet in heaven with the fullness of all the fruits of the Spirit. Can you imagine that? Everyone you meet having agape love, full of joy, overflowing with peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Everyone will be loving like God loves. All who are there will know God's word and they will love the Father and the Son with all their hearts. Each one will have a testimony of the grace that saved them. No one will be whining about the choice of music or the color of the carpet or anything for that matter. All will be praise and glory to our glorious Savior. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. These expressions should remind us how humble we should be about our present knowledge and prophecy and gifts. If we know the expression of these gifts is only partial, we have to recognize that there's so much more that we do not yet understand. Man has always been searching for more, and in many cases that's to exalt himself above others or to gain fame or respect. But this is telling us that no matter how much we know, Our knowledge is still only partial knowledge. When the Lord returns to call us home, the partial will be replaced with the fullness. Do you want to know what that's like? Sorry, I only partially know. But Einstein said, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I do not know. And Aristotle said, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. That's our humble condition right now. 
Man is so arrogant. Every generation thinks they have finally arrived at the pinnacle of knowledge only to be far surpassed by the next. By the middle of the 20th century, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. As of 2013, human knowledge was doubling every 13 months on average. Faster in some industries like nanotechnology research. But now, human knowledge is almost doubling every day. That should blow our minds. I spent a lifetime studying the scripture, but I'm only scratching the surface. And I listen to others who are much more intelligent than I and who, who took a more studious path, and yet they have only scratched a tiny layer deeper. Paul's trying to tell us how humble we should be about our gifts and how limited those gifts are. But agape love, on the other hand, is a quality that is eternal. You want something of eternity right now? It's agape love. When the perfect comes is clarified by the following verses to declare that it's a time when we see Jesus face to face and know fully even as we are fully known, which is the consummation of all things. It's not as some suggest when the Bible is completed as a book which happened around 400 AD. Those descriptions did not occur then. We didn't see Jesus face to face then. That's an illustration of reasoning in part or eisegesis, which is reading something into the scripture that we want to find there rather than studying the passage to see what it actually says. So keep in mind that everyone's reasoning is only in part. However, we must carefully examine what we can understand of scripture to learn more. Interpret scripture with scripture. In the letter here in Corinthians, perfect or mature, all throughout the letter, is said in contrast to infant. By using the term perfect or mature, Paul is probably picking up on the Corinthians language and self-understanding in order to add rhetorical force to his argument. In 2.6 to 3.4, for example, the message of wisdom is spoken to the mature, is said in contrast to Paul's claim that he could only speak to them as mere infants in Christ. The Corinthians considered themselves to be mature, wise, spiritual. Paul pointed out that their behavior indicated otherwise. The mature, or oh, in contrast with the infant, appears again in in 14, chapter 14, verse 20, he says, Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So you see, this is a contrast he continually uses. The true indicator of maturity or spirituality is agape love, not the exercise of the temporal spiritual gifts. So Paul's pounding away at their ego to humble them and bring them into unity. Humility in Christ is the only path to unity. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
Paul used this an illustration comparing a child becoming adult to our present state with our spiritual gifts and our future state in heaven. We're playing with toys now, as wonderful as they are and as helpful as they are, but then we will no longer be playing with partial abilities, but we'll have the full purpose and function of what the gifts represent. The Corinthians thought some of them had had mastered rhetoric. You know, they could speak with eloquence and, and be convincing when they spoke. They believed they were excellent speakers. But Paul's saying it sounds like a little child compared to what's to come. We won't truly know how to speak until we are matured in heaven. If we can look back on what we thought was actually excellent speech or thinking or reasoning, one day we're going to realize how immature it was. What must fellowship in heaven be like then? Well, again, I'm sorry, I only know in part. But that doesn't mean we can't keep looking forward to it. We rely on our reasoning. You know, I hear some people's explanation about theology, and I think how immature their reasoning is. But this verse is telling me, so is mine. We only reason like little children compared to what God has for us then. A mature Christian is one whose main attitude is agape love. I think when most of us consider that, we all realize we have a long way to go to truly be spiritually mature. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. Mirrors in that age, you know, they didn't have the kind of glass mirrors we have now. They, they polished bronze, and they would get it so shiny and reflective that you could see your reflection in the bronze, but it was still an imperfect reflection. And that's an analogy of us looking into the Word, even with the help of the Holy Spirit. The image is there, but it's not clear. Then it will be like sitting down with Jesus face to face. You know, maybe like ultra high definition, 3D plus or whatever. I mean, ultimately the expression uh, known even as we are fully known probably best explains it. Not just knowledge, but knowing Jesus and to know him is to love him. To know him is to be transformed. When Moses saw just a portion of the glory of the Lord, his face radiated that, radiated that glory so much that they asked him to put a veil over his face. Our heavenly bodies will then be able to behold his unveiled glory. What will that do to us? How can we fully know as we are fully known except by the miracle working power of God? I don't think any earthly comparison comes closer than just to say, what is said here. How well does Jesus know you? Well, he knows your thoughts before you speak them. That he knows the desires of your heart. He knows your struggle, your pains, your joys, your fears. And we will know Jesus as intimately. Of course, he has no struggles or fears, but you get the idea. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and agape love abide. These three 
but the greatest of these is love. So what lasts? What doesn't pass away? Faith, hope, and love. They endure. Paul often, actually throughout his letters, writes about the relationship with these three, faith, hope, and love. To the Galatians, he writes that by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness, and the only thing that counts is faith working by love. He told the Thessalonians that when he remembers their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfast hope in Jesus, he prays for them. And since we're children of the day, we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope. But of these three, agape love is the crowning attribute of the soul hidden in Christ. God's love has free flow through the lives of these who have died with Jesus on the cross and been raised with him to newness of life. Love, true love, agape love, doesn't originate in the nature of man, but in the nature of God, for he is agape love. Love is the basic trait of his nature. The very existence of man is due to the fact that God is love, not the fact that God believed or held hope for man. Therefore, love, which is the basic trait of God's nature, is far superior to faith and to hope. To the Corinthians and the church ever since, Paul has laid out the supreme goal. While we are to desire the best gifts, he says in chapter 12, verse 31, he says the most excellent way is this agape love, without which the gifts are worthless, even an irritant. Yet we cannot work up this love. It's just not in us. When someone pushes our buttons, we react. When our spouse seems distant and unconcerned about what we're going through, we begin to feel the same way toward him or her. We say, that we're falling out of love, but what we're falling out of is eros or phileo, but it's not agape, because agape never ends. The world is desperately searching for this type of love. In fact, the whole in every human heart is meant to be filled with this kind of love, and it can only be filled with it. We try to make ourselves attractive in hopes that we'll draw this type of love, but actually we're only attracting eros or phileo at best. But even commitment comes with limitations. I remember about 18, 20 years ago, in the Verde Valley, uh, a young teenage girl was in a terrible car accident. Her face was destroyed. She lived but her face was completely destroyed. Now today we can do actually do face transplants. Did you know that? We can actually put a face on someone. But when that happened, I wondered if she had a boyfriend. And I wondered what kind of love that boyfriend had for her. Because if it was agape, it wouldn't change anything. If it was any other kind of love, even commitment love, commitment can end. Agape love, true love, has its source in God. I would venture to say that most people never find the love they crave because we're always looking in the wrong place. 
While we often fall, for, fall far short of this goal of letting the love of Christ flow through us to others, there is one who never fails. His love never ends. That love took him to horribly agonizing death on a cross for us. And he did so while we were yelling, crucify him. It happened while we were questioning his love for us and while we doubted his goodness. But in that death and resurrection, a victory was won. Love prevailed over all our sins, death, and the grave. Love defeated death. Hallelujah. And because as love did, we know our, our souls, each of our souls is valued beyond what we can ever imagine. And those of those we come in contact with, we have to realize that they're invaluable. It doesn't matter what we look like or what we accomplish. We are loved because God chose to love us. And that love heals all our scars and makes us beautiful on the inside. It's at work even now in every child of God. The day of completion is on God's calendar already. Thank you, Lord. And we will be in the presence of this love that never ends. It's the only real happily ever after. We need to go about our lives each day with the reality of, of these truths in mind. We need to face this loveless world around us with all its impatience and its frustrations and insults, knowing that we are loved. We need to know nothing in this world can change that fact. We are loved with a love that is patient and kind. Hallelujah. It's a love that never envies or boasts. It's never irritable or resentful, never insists on his own way. We're loved by the greatest love, love that laid down his life for us. Then in total trust in that love, once we know that love and trust in that love, we can let that love flow through us to those who are ungrateful, to the annoying and the mean-spirited, knowing that we don't need their love, but that they desperately need the love we have found. We have all the love anyone could ever desire in Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 5, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can let his love flow through us to others. We don't need them to react like we want them to. Love will do its work, whether rejected or embraced. The world rejected Jesus, but look what his love accomplished. The little band of persecuted followers looked hopeless, but they had his love. They were not perfect, but they had his love. And it is by that love that the world heard and billions of souls have been set free, as we sang about. Chains gone, set free in Christ. It's by that love. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. We're not perfect, but now and then as we walk in the spirit with the realization that we are embraced by a love that never ends, that love flows through us to someone who has given up or, or of ever finding that love the love that loves the unlovely. 
And in those moments, we feel we're touching the one who loves us with that love that never ends. You know, I was going to, it's funny, I was going to finish this song, this message with uh, uh, the song that Johnny Lee wrote. Um, Looking for love in all the wrong places. Because in it, at the end, uh, the last verse says, love came knocking at my door and, and he found that love that he was looking for. And I thought, wow, that sounds like Revelation 3.20. But then this morning, at about, at about 3.30 a.m., I woke up with this vivid dream. I was at a seminar and somebody asked me what books I brought. And out of my, I pulled a book out of my bag. And on the cover was John of the Cross. Now, I've heard of John of the Cross before, but I never, ever read anything about John of the Cross. So when I got up, I said, you know what? I got the wrong ending. Here's what John of the Cross wrote. A Christian should always remember that the value of his good works is not based on their number and excellence, but on the love of God, which prompts him to do those things. Where there is no love, pour love in, and you will draw love out. In the twilight of life, God will not judge us on our earthly possessions and human successes but on well, how well we have loved. That's the end of quote. So are you still searching for this love that never ends? If you've never opened your heart to Jesus and invited him to grant you his forgiveness and thanked him for paying your sin debt, the debt he took upon himself and accepted his love that, longs, that he longs to give you, what are you waiting for? You'll never find it searching in all the wrong places. That verse, Revelation 3.20, tells us Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts, knocking and hoping that we will open our heart to him and receive this incredible love of God and know him as our Lord and as the lover of our souls. And only then can he pour his love through us to others who desperately need his love. It'll cost us everything. But the question is, do you want to live? He who would save his life, Jesus said, will lose it. But he who gives his life for my sake will find it. Amen? Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song, and then I'll give the benediction. <clears throat>